Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so before we continue to submerge into the unsearchable inheritance of Christ, into the depths of riches, the unchanging epigraph of our study or submerging into our inheritance is the book of Luke 24 44 then Jesus said to his disciples this is what I told you while I was still with you everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms these were the final words of Christ which he spoke on earth after this, he began to ascend from them. He began to go into heaven, and the cloud took him from their sight. All happened quietly. Nothing changed in Israel, and nothing changed in the world. Jesus resurrected. He left this world. The Jews tempted the high priests and the soldiers of Rome. They said that he had been stolen and he wasn't resurrected and that's why he's not in the tomb because he was stolen. This is the typical lie that people today try to spread. Not just atheists, but even so-called Christians when they see the life of God that begins to break through somewhere just right then they say well this is not God's life this is this has long been dead as Apostle Paul said they count us dead but we are alive they and so because of the Lord's mercy and goodness they call consider us dead also these are the differentiating uh, factors that that's what they will do if people think that God is within these loud songs of worship and dances that are even more uh, ridiculous than the discos, 
they think God's life is in this, but God's life is in something very different. His life is a surprising, transparent silence where God's life is His Holy Spirit. And so that we as the participants of the body of Christ would share together with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in the heart, saying what we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. This is the calling of every holy person of God who comes into God's family. If a person does not comprehend this calling, then he will be uprooted from God's family, uprooted from the holy nation, because this is a calling for all. It's not possible to clothe yourself into righteousness, into God's love, into the new person, until you put off your former way of life, cast off of yourself the old man with his deeds. As it is written, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be be made new by the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self, created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22-24 And to fulfill this decreeing commandment, we need to put three destiny-impacting, commanding, and fundamental acts into practice. These are put off, be renewed, and put on. Fulfilling these three destiny-impacting, commanding, and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. God always offers you a choice to be a vessel of mercy or vessel of wrath. And this choice is given to you at the moment when you come out of spiritual infancy, when you leave uh, your carnal state. When time has passed and you already should have left spiritual infancy and you haven't, then you will be uprooted from the kingdom of God because people who are uh, wavering and are stumbling, uh, attracted by various winds of doctrine, they won't be saved. How can God save man who continues to stumble and, and is attracted by various winds of doctrine, various teachings? Apostles say, we are not those who stumble, we are those who are standing firm in the faith. We need to save our soul. We are born from God, but this is our spirit, but our soul and our body continue to remain the same. Our character remains the same, and we need to save our soul. And to save our soul, we need to make a choice to either be vessels of mercy, to be obedient, obey our faith to God's faith, or begin to interpret the scriptures with your mind and follow those leaders that we elect or vote for democratically. And then we transform ourselves into vessels of wrath. Or more specifically, will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a seed identifying a down payment of our justification that is given to us in salvation, where we need to turn the above three mentioned acts into profit within the death of our Lord Jesus Christ so that our salvation can be, be then become our possession in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Otherwise, we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of this down payment. And as a result, then our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life in the format of the given to us down payment because this down payment or guarantee does not say that, state that 
or mean that it belongs to you until we bring in the remaining sum or amount so that it can become your own so that we can receive the, our salvation uh, fully and so if we again do not do this then our names will be blotted out of the book of life in a specific format we look, already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement the, the conditions we need to fulfill so that by the means of our already renewed mind we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person relevant to this we stopped to study the allegory contained in the 18th psalm of David and so we renew our mind we confess the faith of our heart this is uh, the faith that's in our heart this is the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ the undamaged truth and so we confess this truth and so then we put on this power of the glory of our new person who is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth relevant to this we stop to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David where with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God and proclaiming the faith of our heart when we are in, in the circumstances of our tight situation, casting off our old man. We call upon God, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ, that is by the right of our birth or our origin and what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ we note that the given allegory is one and so this given allegory contains uh, consists of, of our calling is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul, and also with governing sin, who is our old old person, with his deeds as Agog, the son of the the king of the Amalekites. And so, in our body, we see these three kings, three kings, uh, and they battle with one another. And the field of battle is our heart, and the king that we give preference to. Uh, consideration to will be the one that will rule, either the king of the Malachites, Agog, who was a brother of Saul, because Saul called him a brother. He said, you're my brother, sit with me. Saul made a covenant with him. The carnal mind always is all in, in continual friendship with governing sin that's in the body that we have all inherited by the line of our fathers in the flesh, passed on to us uh, by... Uh, in the sinful seed because Adam received the old man or governing sin into his body when he had sin, sinned and he had began to pass on in his seed to his children <clears throat> this governing sin within the body the old man is the programmable system that contains within itself the program of the fallen cherubim and we are born with it and so now when we are born from God we need to uh, thrust him out from within our body to destroy, destroy the stronghold of death tie up the old man instead of uh, tying up demons you're not allowed to uh, tie up or bind up 
Uh, nowhere is it written that we need to bind them up or tie them up. We need to step upon them. We need to rebuke them. Why do you need to tie up an enemy that you have already overcome? I give you power to, to rebuke all demons. But when it comes to binding up, you bind. Whatever you uh, bind on earth will be uh, bound in heaven. If you remember that place. Or, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so in the original it says, uh, it will be bound on earth, what has already been bound in heaven by this time. How do you bind the old man and give the throne to the word of God and the Holy Spirit? In its character, the prayer psalm of David that talks about how to do this contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer belonging to us as kings, priests, and prophets. We need to, and we are called to do this uh, by prayer, collaborating our faith with God's faith, the preach to us words. First part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer which is the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer and our prayer of course belonging to kings priests and prophets david was a king he was a high priest and he was a prophet even though he w- did not come from the line of levi he was from the line of judah he was a high priest because he entered into the holy of holies and he put on the garments of the high priest he took them with him when he would go into battle and when he needed to turn to God, he needed God's help, he would put on the garments which contained the Urim and the Thummim and he would plead with the Lord and uh, request from the Lord information, uh, the strategy that he's to use in battle and the Lord would respond because of this Urim and Thummim. And only the high priest was able to do this and only a high priest could put on these garments, but David carried it with himself and none of the priests uh, resisted this or questioned it because they being priests they also heard the voice of God in their heart and they received a revelation that this person although he's not from the line of Levi or the Levites God had chosen chosen him to be a high priest he is the prophet of the Most High because from him will come a king, prophet and priest Jesus Christ, who also will not be from the Levites, he will be from the line of Judah, and he will change the priesthood. The priesthood of the Levites will uh, desist, will no longer uh, continue. The stronghold of death in the body will be devoured by the stronghold of life. Second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets which gives God the proper basis to deliver us in the image of David from the hand of all of our enemies. And so we, looking at David, we are looking at our new person. The, th- uh, the third part illustrates the prayer battle itself. In an, it contains an epic genre, which is beyond the limitation of the typical human mind of man. In a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High. David, in this prayer, turns to to God and he states the eight names of God. He brings forth eight names and there's a reason he brought forth eight, because he is praying uh, upon the uh, basis of the covenant. And so... You don't need to list all 50 names when you are uh, turning to God 
upon the basis of a covenant. And so these eight names are all diluted within the remaining 50 or remaining uh, names to make up the 50. Getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David, consisting of the eight names of God, allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that he can be saved from his enemies. And God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens up the power of his names within the heart of David and our heart as well provides God with the legitimate basis that he needs to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names in battle against the enemies of David and our enemies. When we confess these eight names, the Holy Spirit takes these confessions and uh, uses them in battle against our enemies, battle for the salvation of our soul and body. Here's how he begins this prayer. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1-4. And so all of us together, let us proclaim who God is to us, in Jesus Christ. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear this and confirm these confessions within our hearts so that it be written clearly upon the tablets of our heart, so that when the time comes to fulfill these promises, our Lord, our Heavenly Father, as the reader, would be able to easily read it. Those who will not grow, those who will not grow this promise from seed into fruit, you won't be able to read it. Um, we're talking about the promise that belongs to the door of our hope. And so the deliverance the redemption, the adoption of our body, when our bodies in here on earth will be transformed from mortal into immortal or corrupt into incorrupt before we're taken to heaven. And so for this to happen, we need this incorrupt body be clearly written upon the tablets of our heart. And so that is why we are studying what is necessary to be done <clears throat> so that these eight names can be utilized so that our bodies already be adopted. And because when a person, by the faith of his heart, using the truth in his heart, the faith of his heart, these are the promises we have when we confess it with our mouth, God then accounts this to us as righteousness, and he sees that then our body is incorrupt before we are raptured. Because only those will be raptured who will have this incorrupt body, this imperishable body, because people think they'll suddenly become incorrupt and God will take them immediately. No, that's not what will happen. We know that Jesus was not immediately raptured or taken to heaven. We will be raptured as Jesus was. He resurrected and with him, a multitude of saints were raptured and went into the holy city and showed themselves to many people and they continued with them. They could not just resurrect any time, and so 40 days he remained on earth, and they, for 40 days, were also on earth, and 
came in to see the people who thought they were dead. And I trust that Abraham visited someone, Jacob, Isaac, the prophets. They are that first sheaf that went, uh, uh, were, were, resu- uh, were raptured with Jesus. We don't see that they were with Jesus, but according to Scripture, we know that when Jesus was resurrected, they at this time were resurrected and then also were raptured with him. And so we have approached uh, to the church of the first fruit as it is. And so the church of the first fruit, this is the first sheaf. We also are a part of that because Jesus is first. He is the, he is the first uh, fruit. And so there's no second, third, or fourth. We are all in the first fruit or first sheaf together with Jesus. And so <clears throat> as much as the Lord has allowed and according to, to the measure of our faith, we already studied our inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the power of six names of God. And these are strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, living rock, and living shield, and have been studying the horn of our salvation, God's name as the horn of our salvation. Getting to know the eight names of God, which identify God's covenant with us, is a strategic teaching as well as a tactical teaching, which has purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer, which they are called to be clothed into as a mantle of a king and as holy garments of a king, priest, and prophet who are anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule over their earthly body. Because if a person can govern or rule over his body, then he is a king. But this is not enough. You need to be a priest and a prophet also because these are three functions These are not, uh, this is all one in three separate functions of of government. If a person who is born from God has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling, which is his mortal body, in the status of a king, a priest, and a prophet, so that he can change it into a heavenly body, then the revelation about God consisting of his glorious name, Horn, that is purposed for worshiping God in spirit and in truth, will not benefit him in any way because due to his stiff neck he has refused the given to him by God calling to save his soul to then by the means of a saved soul to adopt his body by the truth that is contained in the redemption of Christ. We can't save our body if our soul is not saved. Again I repeat when we repent we receive salvation and we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we make a covenant with God, our soul is not yet saved at this time. We have done all of this and all of this is given to us in that uh, guarantee, but now we need to turn it so that we can receive our soul and body as our own possession so that we, we own them so that we know then our soul and our body are saved because the scriptures say clearly save your souls to people who have repented and have received the Holy Spirit or baptism of the Holy Spirit and so the quality and lexicon which we will be studying identifying the name of God containing the function of the horn of our salvation as with the previous names of God most high are not able to be found in any dictionary of the world considering the fact that in scripture the symbol of the name of God horn presenting the symbol and standard of his might which contains the eternal 
non-diminishing potential of the non-exhaustive and countless abilities and powers of God with which He created the heavens and the earth, including mankind, and with which He keeps and watches over His world for judgment at the great and white throne. And so He keeps it, watches over it with His name, Horn. I will bring forth a short list of qualities and characteristics <clears throat> which identified the virtue of God in Scripture contained in His name, Horn. The mighty power and authority of God in His glorious name, Horn, is the sacral work that is being done in the temple of our body. A sacral work is an offering. This is the power of God that is within the offering that is brought upon the altar of burnt offering. It is the non-diminishing and unsearchable nature of the power of God in His strength. It is the eternal and unquestionable power of God over the living and dead. It is the power of the might of God to keep those that are condemned to death. The power of the might of God showing the inevitability of His death. And so a person cannot escape it. It is inevitable. The power of the might of God to perform judgment and righteousness by His servants the power of the might of God to demonstrate His wrath over the vessels of wrath and His mercy over the vessels of mercy, the power of the might of God to sow and gather what was sown, the power of the might of God to split and to separate, the power of the might of God to destroy and to construct or to build, the power of God restores what is destroyed, the power of the might of God blots out the sins of His nation, the power of the might of God to perform signs and miracles, the power of the might of of God to blot out the book, blot out of the book of life the names of sinners, and so all of this the name of God, Horn does, upon the condition that we collaborate with it, and to collaborate with the name of God, Horn, it is necessary to also have a horn. We need to grow within ourselves this horn of salvation, with which we can then collaborate with the name of God. We need to consider that the list of the mighty works of God in His glorious name Horn, concealed in the unsearchable works of God, were accomplished by Him using the mouth of holy men that are led by the Holy Spirit who have paid the required price for the absolute and sought-after dependence upon the Holy Spirit, which consisted of denying your nation, the house of your father, and your corrupt desires. This is the price that David paid that all of those who desired the incorrupt body paid and we together also we already have studied this question and we know what it means and what sees and what he considers existing when we accept it by faith we count ourselves dead to sin living for God and we proclaim the not existent uh, stronghold of incorruption in our body as existent, first of all, God accounts this to us as righteousness, and secondly, He already sees our body as incorrupt. We just need to wait for the time that God has placed, has decided, and He will accomplish it based on how well written it is upon our heart, and He will be able to read it upon our heart. The functions that are contained in the name of God, Horn, as all of the previous names of God within the relationship of God and man first make themselves known 
in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that are imprinted and abide within our heart and consist are consisted in the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace that are made between us and God in the baptism of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. In Scripture, the name of God in the functioning meaning horn is used as a symbol of might and strength, which is military weaponry or armor for warriors in prayer. And as warriors in prayer, we are called to clothe ourselves into the given functions of might so that we can successfully resist the organized powers of darkness who resist us or get in our way of fulfilling the will of God, both within our body as well as out of our body. And we are called to resist with our own horn, our own personal horn, because the wicked also have their horn, the horn of wickedness. But we need to resist with the horn of righteousness that we will grow into the fruits of righteousness. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, Ephesians 6.10. And so the power of His might is the horn of our salvation. In Scripture, the symbol of the horn of an animal that grows from Him symbolizes one of the unique names of God that in the form of the preach to a seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven contains the eternal, non-diminishing, and unsearchable potential of the might of God in His name, Horn. It is necessary for us to study under what circumstances and fulfilling what conditions are we called to collaborate our faith with the name of God Horn to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life, identifying the kingdom of heaven within our body. And to study the great and good goal being the greatest and unchanging will of God in the form of our first most or primary purpose and our primary calling it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions. First, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scriptures give the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of His name, Horn? What functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God, Horn, called to fulfill? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can provide God with a legitimate foundation to show Himself in the accomplishment of our salvation in the function of His name of the name of God Horn? And by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether God truly abides within our heart in the function of His name Horn and that we are clothed into the virtue of His name Horn? <clears throat> Looking at the first question, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scripture ascribed the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his name horn, considering therefore that all of the previous fo- uh, previous and following names of God, which have been subjects we have been studying, we will be found and revealed in this name of God horn, as they are dissolved in one the other, they flow one from the other, and in this way they identify the truthfulness of one the other. Five identifying functions of God in the might of His name, Horn, have already been components of study. I will shortly remind us of their essence, and we will continue to the next ones. First, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, identifies and makes itself known in the virtues of the Heavenly Father that are revealed by Him in the Son of God, in the status of the Son of Man, who is born from the Virgin Mary. Now, We're talking about Zechariah, uh, the priest, the father of John the Baptist, who is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of a servant David, as he had spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that he would be 
that we would be saved from our enemies, salvation from our enemies, using the name of God, Horn, and this is Jesus in the flesh, and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he had sworn to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in the holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Luke 167-75. We already studied this first uh, component. And the second is the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the mighty and glorious power of God makes itself known in a church where they offer their means with all of their heart in the equivalent of money to build their body into a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the the victory and the majesty For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are, you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. First Chronicles 29, 10-12. And so they were offering, this was at the time when they were offering for the building of the temple. He gave the instructions to his son Solomon, and he called all the princes and the nations uh, and, and told them to offer for the temple, because the temple will need a lot of means. And this won't be an annual budget. This is about 40 years worth of, of income uh, of, of the nation. Because all these years, uh, David was gathering for the nation. It wasn't tithes and offerings. These were separate offerings for the temple. Uh, very uh, precious uh, woods, uh, copper, gold, all of these precious stones. And he said that it's not enough what I have gathered now. I want you all to participate. And then all of Israel began to participate. Uh, and the men began to bring and the owners of their fields, the poor and the rich. And when David saw this offering, he had brought forth this prayer. The offering of the people that he then uh, proclaimed this prayer. You see here, similarly, that's how the temple looked like, the Temple of Solomon you will see some uh, images uh, come up uh, when we're, we're talking. Third, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the covenant of God with man that is made with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And so the, sh- the sound of the horns uh, participated or took part in the covenant made with, with God. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who d- who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him to, in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from all the spoils they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God 
of their father with all of their heart and with all of their soul and whomever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was put to, to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and saw him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Second Chronicles 15, 9-15 The one we studied in the previous service was uh, the <clears throat> fourth and fifth. The name of God Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the format of the shown to us holiness, in the obedience of our faith with the faith of God, the the collaboration of our horn with God's horn. Fifth, the name of God horn called to demonstrate, demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glorious power of God makes itself known in the horn that is filled with oil to anoint us as warriors in prayer in the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets. And so if we do not grow this horn in ourselves, then the Holy Spirit will not have the ability or a foundation to anoint us, upon which to anoint us, because He will anoint us from this filled oil that we will grow in us. And now the sixth name of God, Horn, called, or the sixth component of God's name, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the four horns which came out of the bronze altar. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horn on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. And it will, in other words, it needed to look like as if uh, like a horn would come out from an animal. That's how it needed to look from the altar. First, the four-cornered shape square of the bronze altar of burnt offering, which is built of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide, indicates our perfection in Christ Jesus, which is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. Because the temple that was built, the Temple of Solomon, <clears throat> it was not squared, it was uh, rectangular, and it didn't, and that does not symbolize perfection, but the altar that was within the outer courtyard did ha- uh, symbolize perfection because it had uh, four equal sides. You could see similarly to what it may have looked like. And here's the bronze seed that they would wash themselves in and the two pillars uh, that were where they entered to come in to the holy place. And so that was first, uh, the perfection that is inherent to our Heavenly Father. And second, it indicates the presence of God's theocracy within the spirit of man, identifying the order of the kingdom of heaven. The number five is a symbol of the founded or constituted by God delegated authority of the fivefold service within the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ led by Christ, which has placed itself in dependence of the five individual functions in the words of the messengers of God the function of the word of the apostles, the function of the word of the prophets, the function of the word of the evangelists, the function of the word of the pastors, and the function of the word of the teachers. The existing five functions are called to be possessed by a person that has the virtue of an apostle of Christ. At the same time, possessors of the other remaining functions are people that are helpers of the apostles and are obedient to the apostles. Since apostles were called by God to present the legislative power 
to the Church of Christ. At the same time, the functions of the delegated authority and the status of prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were called by God to represent the executive authority in the status of the waters. And he, God himself, gave him gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The fivefold service. It was five cubits long, five cubits wide. And so they are the waters. And so he had uh, placed some, the prophets, for the keeping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Not acknowledging this fivefold service, we will not be able to be grown into the full measure of growth in Christ. And the scriptures continue to say that we should no longer be children tossed to and from and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting that we not be this way but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. The height of the altar being three cubits built of acacia wood and overlaid with bronze from which come the horns indicates our perfection in Jesus Christ, consisting in the width and length of the altar which outstretches over the three aspects of our human essence, including the spirit, soul, and body. And so, the height, uh, cu- three cubits, are spirit, soul, and body. The width of and, and length of five cubits is the acknowledging of God's order, God's theocracy, in the form of the delegated, the fivefold service. The symbol of bronze, which with which the altar was overlaid, built of acacia wood, is the format of justice, where we see... Th- where we receive the ability to judge ourselves in our conscience. And this is not our neighbor, but ourselves, to test ourselves whether we're in the faith. And we can test ourselves, we can judge ourselves when we are when our conscience is cleansed from dead works in accordance with the demands of justice that have been put into it, consisting of the wisdom of the elementary teaching of Christ and the revelation of the Holy Spirit who opens up the meaning of of this teaching within our heart as it is written behold you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom psalm 51 6 and so this wisdom within is the holy spirit he has come uh, as a response to the truth that's in his heart so they can reveal this truth for david and us all and us also The four bronze horns which come out of the bronze altar represent within our spirit the unsearchable and innumerable might of the four elementary truths based on which we are called to judge ourselves so that God does not judge us. And these four disciplines consist of the teaching of the baptisms, teaching of laying on of the hands, the teaching of the resurrection of the dead, and the teaching of the eternal judgment. 
The form of these four teachings in the form of the four horns of the bronze altar are necessary and are called in Jesus Christ to take part in us making a covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace with God so that we can inherit eternal life in God and with, and with God. The symbol of acacia wood from which the bronze altar was built and from which the four horns proceeded represents the symbol of our inner state. And so this wood belongs again, this uh, applies to those who are born from God and people that are born from God. And so this wood, acacia wood, are our inner goals, our inner motives that are cleansed from the inclusions of foreign motives of the flesh. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Exodus 29:37. And so our altar, our, our motives and goals of our heart, which are in accordance to the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In this way, the characteristics of acacia wood, which is overlaid with bronze, symbolizes the inner state of our heart cleansed from the inclusions of foreign motives of our flesh. For better clarity of our motives, which are cleansed from egotistical and greedy inclusions of the flesh, I will remind us of some characteristics belonging to acacia wood. In it, God has placed a symbol of the quality of a faithful and righteous heart before Him, called to be our state, satisfying the requirements of the altar of the Lord. Acacia wood is Egyptian acacia Gladitia, honey locust, in other words, the root system of this robust plant go very deep in the ground. Each of the roots includes strong central rods and lateral plants. The shoots of the root system of the Egyptian Gladitia form wide carves and spreading crowns. The root system is not only very deep in the soil, but very extensive above the soil as well, as it grows from the trunk or stem about 10 meters or more and forms root shoots. Apostle Paul, according to the given to him by God wisdom, wrote that the root system of our sacred person is to be the holy or selective love of God agape. <clears throat> and the deeper and wider we will allow ourselves to be rooted with our spirit into the selective love of God agape, the deeper and wider will we be able to be filled with all of the fullness of God, so that in this way we can correspond to the requirements of the altar built of acacia wood. We will be looking at our goals in this altar, <clears throat> upon this altar, because and they need to be according to God's that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And so Egyptian... Gladitia is unpretentiously able to tolerate heat, cold, drought, and salinization, which is salted soil, and can grow on eroded soil and steep slopes. And because of its fruits, which fall on the ground, the soil of the Gladitia is improved and enriched with nitrogen. 
The nitrogen, which enriches the soils of the root system, symbolizes the enrichment of the soil of our heart with the confessions of the faith of God, which abide within our heart in the format of the grown by his fruit of righteousness. And so these fruits, they have this nitrogen and uh, improve the soils. Listen, my, bre- my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James 2.5 The gladitia is a thorny, it is all covered in thorns, and the thorns are very, very uh, wide. The gladitia is a thorny, tall, fast-growing tree, the height of which reaches between 15 meters and 30 meters. You can see similarly here an image of this acacia tree or gladitium. The crown or canopy of a mature tree is asymmetric, widespread, and lacy, and with age, is often f- it often forms an unusual umbrella form, which is ideal and good for shade from the daily heat. The shade, which is formed because of the widespread crown of the gladitia, symbolizes the co- the cover and shadow of the Almighty that is generated or created by us by obeying the preached word of the messengers of God. We begin to correspond to this tree, to the crown of this tree, to the canopy of this tree. It, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom, in Him I will trust. Psalm 91, 1-2, a symbol of trust upon God, which is the shadow of the Almighty, the bark of the trunk of the gladitia is dark brown color and sometimes almost black. Therefore, the the bark of the trunk of the gladitia being black in color symbolizes the most beautiful of women, which is her her producing the fruit of holiness, making her free of sin. I am dark but lovely, O daughter of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, Songs of Solomon 1.5. And so specifically, this black color makes us free from sin. This is a symbol of holiness. The word Kedar, as it says, uh, like, uh, like the tense of Kedar, means dark or black. It also, this word Kedar means high priest, the robe of the high priest. This is also the name of the second son of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. Therefore, Kedar is the name of one of the Arabian princes, the son of Ishmael, whom Hagar bore to Abraham, Sarah's servant. From Kedar, the son of Ishmael, came quite a freedom-loving and nomadic nation living in the wilderness in the east, in Palestine. Here's what it says about it. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out. Yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. Isaiah 42, 11 through 13. I will remind us that first in scripture, the black color is a symbol of holiness, which demonstrates itself in the heart of man in freedom from sin or dying for sin in the death of the Lord Jesus. Second, the fruit of holiness demonstrates itself in the heart of man in condemning sin as well as its carriers. Therefore, the fruit of holiness within the heart of man in the eyes of God and presented in the beauty of the Kedar tents 
and the temple curtains of Solomon separating within the temple of our body the holy place from the holy of holies. Then I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses. With the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses, strong steeds. And so dappled are different colors, they have uh, different spots. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered, because he sees from this, uh, from this, uh, between the two uh, mountains that are of bronze, these horses coming out. And the angel answered and said to me, These are four spirits of heaven who go out from, from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The four spirits of heaven, these are, it's talking about the church of God. Because in scripture, these four spirits of heaven, this is the church of Jesus Christ that has and that represents the four base teachings which each have their three. And so he asked him, what are these? And he says, the one with the black horses is going to the north country the white are going after them and the dappled are going toward the south country then the strong steeds went out eager eager to go that they might walk to and from throughout the earth and he said go walk to and from throughout the earth so they walked to and from throughout the earth and he called to me and spoke to me saying see those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country Zechariah 6 1 through 8 Specifically, this chariot that had the black horses is the one who gave him rest or rest to his spirit. Considering that the altar that is made of acacia wood and overlaid with bronze with the four bronze horns coming from it is the justice of God where we satisfy the judgment of God in Jesus Christ by condemning sin within our body so that he can receive the legitimate foundation to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. The symbol of the two mountains of bronze is the symbol of our ability to collaborate with the two law-giving formats of justice in the form of the Thummim and Urim, representing within our heart the truth of the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ <laughs> in the twelve foundations of the wall of the New Jerusalem and the revelations of the Holy Spirit who reveals the meaning of the truth of the elementary teaching. The pass between the two bronze mountains is a symbol of the testimony that we, in the death of our Lord Jesus, this pass is a symbol of death. We have died for our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires, which are supported by our old person as the manufacturer of the sin. The four chariots, each drawing three horses of several types, and coming out from the pass that is between the two bronze mountains, symbolizes the four horns of the altar, these four chariots. The four chariots, each drawing three horses of various types, and coming out from the pass between the two bronze mountains, represents the symbol of the offering, which upon the bronze altar is demonstrated in the confessions of our mouth, bringing about God's judgments, which abide within our heart, 
And so, it, confessing judgment again over sin that's within our body. And first of all, over governing sin living within our body, representing who is our old person, the carrier and producer of the program of sin passed on to us by the aimless or sinful conduct of our fathers in the flesh. Here are the words that David used to condemn his sinful origin in one of his prayer psalms. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, Psalm 51.5. Therefore, judgment, where we are called to demonstrate the holiness of God within our bodies by the means of confessing justice with our mouth abiding within our heart, in the form of the four chariots, each one drawing three horses of different kind, consists in us demonstrating the fruit of holiness, and doing so we can justify ourselves in Jesus Christ by confessing and looking at who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. And this is by the fact of our birth in Jesus Christ. But now having been set, been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is, de in, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 23 Furthermore, in the four chariots coming out of the pass that is between the two bronze mountains, each one drawing three horses of various kind, the holiness of God was presented in the, in the chariot which was drawing the three black horses going toward the north country. We see that the following words, see those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. Considering this, the fruit of holiness demonstrated within our heart in the chariot drawing the three black horses works tightly with the other three chariots, each drawing horses, three that are white, three that are red, and three that are dappled. Second, three horses that are drawn by the four chariots represent the very close relationship of our spirit, our renewed mind, and our meek or disciplined mouth, confessing the faith of God abiding within the Eden of our heart in the three primary rivers of the elementary teaching of Christ. The chariot that draws the three red horses represents the seal of righteousness within our heart. In the circumcision of our heart, protecting the boundaries of holiness, where we in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ died for our nation, for the house of our Father, and for the corrupt desires of our soul. And Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, through, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which are which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to see through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4, 11 through 13. The chariot drawing the three white horses represents in the Eden of our heart the fruit of righteousness demonstrated in virgin purity of our heart, which is washed by the blood of, our, of the cross of, of Christ. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eye with eye salve, that you may see Revelations 3.18. The chariots that draw the three dappled horses represent in the Eden of our heart the fruit of the governance of grace, or the rule of grace, where we died in the law for the law so that we can live for the one that died for us and resurrected, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 5.21. 
And so these four chariots, they represent the functions of in our that are in our body, different functions. One represents the virgin purity, the other holiness, the other uh, this governing grace, and so forth. Therefore, these four chariots, each of which are drawing three horses, included in the fruit of our spirit, are not able to demonstrate themselves or make themselves known independent of one the other, only together and united with one the other, forming an amazing balance with one the other, are they able to demonstrate themselves in the virtue of an altar made of the acacia wood and overlaid with bronze with it, with the four horns coming out of it. We looked at this vision and it applies to our own altar. And these two bronze mountains, they also represent the bronze altar. They symbolize this bronze altar from which come these four bronze horns. And this altar was built of acacia wood. On the branches and trunk of the gladitsia, we see strong, simple, or uh, or branched out needles or spikes that are up to eight centimeters long and on the trunk they sometimes reach 30 centimeters in length. If you can imagine trying to climb such a tree. Having large thorns first is a disadvantage or flaw and second a quality and a benefit as it allows you to create practically impassable living walls or barriers from this gladitsia that are practically impassable for animals which is why they planted with the goal of blocking areas from them. And so they plant them, and so then animals are not able to get through because these thorns are are very wide, and they're not able to pass by, pass the root or to get in, uh, as they will hurt themselves. Therefore, because the gladitsia from top to bottom is covered with multitude of sharp thorns, and not just the branches, but also the trunks, birds never weave nests on them. We conclude, therefore, that the symbol of sharp thorns which cover the trunk and the branches of the gladitsia is a heart of a person where the birds of heaven in the format of the evil and bad thoughts are not able to weave their nests. You see how amazing in this tree the Lord has shown make it of this wood, acacia wood. And so if we have this altar, then uh, these thoughts, evil thoughts, negative thoughts, uh, will not be visiting us as a brother often comes to me and, and asks, Uh, I have a lot of profanity in my head against God and you in my head. I don't know what to do with it. I told him, fill your glass with clean water, and then this will all stop. You need to fill yourself with the word of God, meditate about it, and this won't be happening. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 8, 19-22 You see how our altar needs to be. We're studying here our altar that is made of this acacia wood. <clears throat> and overlaid with bronze. The gladitsia belongs to the family of hard trees. It is wood's uh, physical mechanical properties is comparable to the wood of the oak tree. 
therefore the wood of the Gladizia is hard, is heavy, and has attractive patterns, is used for various products, is quite valuable for underwater and underground structures, because it does not rot. It doesn't have the ability uh, to fall apart or to rot, and it is used for building and other materials and as fuel in some cases. The symbol of the hardness of the wood of the Gladizia is the hardness of our spirit established in hope upon God and upon His word. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, 3, 4. We continue to study here ourselves in the form of this altar, our motives and our goals. They are God's will, and they need to correspond to God's will. And so this Egyptian gladizia has an attractive crown of opened work or, la- or laciness with fragrant flowers and an interesting arrangement of the branches. The flowers of the acacia tree produce a large amount of nectar and attract summer bees, due to which this unique tree is also valued as a honey producer. The symbol of the fragrant flowers of the acacia tree attracting bees in the form of saints who obey the words of the messengers of God is the ability to be the fragrance of Christ. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus and through through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And so David here describes himself or describes the altar that is made of this acacia wood. This will be this uh, fragrance of Christ that will uh, be in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17. Those who peddle with the word, that means they have not built themselves into an altar of God, <clears throat> which is why they are not uh, priests to God. They're not able to offer upon this altar their prayers. God does not see them as priests. And so they are not in accordance to this acacia tree or this gladizia tree. <clears throat> and God sees them just as a simple servants of infants that are very, uh, attracted by various winds of doctrine. Gladizia or the acacia tree is a food medicinal, insecticidal, insecticidal and phytomeliorative tree. And so what it's referring to is that it enriches the soil with itself. From it, uh, you can produce uh, medicine and <clears throat> you can eat from it. And it it's again, it has a, a resistant to insects. And even if you uh, consume it, uh, it won't be able to, it won't harm you or hurt you. The fruits, <clears throat> the fruits are meaty, sweet, and are eaten by livestock. The leaves and the fruits are rich with vitamin C. From its seed, they make a surrogate for coffee. The leaves of the acacia tree produce 
phytonicides, which are an antimicrobial, negatively affecting microbes by destroying them. Mature fruits of the acacia tree serve as raw medicine, the leaves more rarely. The fruits are prepared when the pods contain a dark color and are easily removed. They completely dry them in a dehydrator at a temperature of 50 and 60 degrees Celsius or in or they dry them in open air. The leaves are gathered in the first half of summer in dry sunny weather. They dry them in the shade, spreading them out in a thin layer and periodically moving them around. When they are gray, they are considered ready when the uh, stalks no longer being easily are not being able to easily break. They keep them in bags or in a closed wooden container for up to two years. In medi medical practice, the de the the decotions of the fruits and the leaves are used for chronic inflammation of the gallbladder, spastic colon and gastritis, and for chronic ulcered illnesses of the stomach and dunadum. The fruits that are produced by the acacia tree serving as food for the livestock and the symbol of the leaves serving as medicine when having difficulty digesting food symbolizes the fruits of the tree of life and the Eden of our heart and the leaves of the tree for the healing of nations. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. Revelations 22.1.2 Therefore, due to the inner special specialties of our new person built into the altar of the Lord, satisfying the requirement of the acacia tree and it being covered with bronze to judge yourself in accordance to the requirements of the teaching of Christ. And from the altar come four horns containing the mighty God, the might of God in his great name horn. And if a person in his inner essence does not satisfy the requirements of the specialties of the acacia tree, then this means that he has not yet built his body into a temple of the Holy Spirit and an altar made of acacia wood that is overlaid with bronze from which come the four horns. And consequently, such a person does not have a legitimate foundation upon which he would be able to give God the ability to show himself to this person in the non-diminishing and unsearchable might of his name, Horn. Practically, Speaking of this name, I repeat, speaking of this tree, this wood, we see the tree of life that bears fruit each month and the trees uh, or the leaves of the trees for the healing of nation. And so if we have this altar, then we have this tree of life also, because it's not possible to build yourself into an altar not having grown the tree of life. Growing in ourselves the tree of life, we in this way build ourselves into an altar of this acacia wood overlaid with bronze and from which come these four horns. And so this altar practically does not work with the other altar which we will be studying in the next uh, service. This will be the gold altar with its horns. From it also come four horns. Because when an offering is brought upon this altar and upon the horns they put this blood, <clears throat> then after this horns upon the bronze altar, they bring the blood into the holy uh, place. They then sprinkle the blood uh, multiple times and then they put this blood upon the golden horns. And so these two functions, they work with one another, bronze altar and gold altar. You can't build yourself into a bronze altar and not build yourself into a gold altar of 
of incense. We see the fragrance of Christ is linked with another altar. And so this altar and that altar are both made of acacia wood. And as today I committed some time to this acacia wood, when we will be studying the golden altar of incense, I won't go too much back into what acacia wood is, as it will be made of that acacia wood also. We won't talk about this uh, virtues of this uh, gladitia, this Egyptian gladitia. And so this is our praise before God that useless thoughts, carnal thoughts will not be visiting us. Uh, that means you'll have the seal of the living God and that's what the altar will be speaking about. It's made of the acacia wood. These are spiritual thinking. These are a symbol of the spiritual person because spiritual thoughts is life and peace and carnal, a carnal mind is death. And so a person who does not have spiritual thoughts, who does not meditate about the truth that he hears, this means that he is not being built into an altar of the Lord. This means that he has not grown in himself the tree of life because in this altar we see the great wealth um yeah we're studying and we will continue to study on sunday the fruits of the tree of life that are uh, produced each month and soon we will finish that uh and go on to a very interesting next fruit that is brought in the next month and then in another month so i want us to accept these uh, images into our heart because it's very important to understand these images. These are images for us and they need to be within our renewed mind. Having this altar only with our renewed mind can I then judge myself according to the truth that's in my heart. If uh, my mind is not renewed, the truth in the heart will not be, it will not fall in there. The truth will not fall into the heart. And you'll ask how? You can listen to many wonderful sermons, any preachers, but they will not give you or me any benefit. What brings benefit is, first, you need to cast off of yourself your old man, and after that, renew your mind. And only after that, begin the process of clothing yourself into your new person or building yourself into a spiritual house, into a temple for the Holy Spirit with all of its components that are included. And so people who don't have this calling or haven't accepted it, they don't have salvation. They have this illusion of, of salvation. Some of them, some of them who will will receive salvation, may receive it at the end of their life, having confessed their sins, but they will be as a form of mercy or uh, or as an exception because they did not build their building from these precious stones. They didn't build it. They built it from wood and, and hay and other uh, materials. They say, Lord, the Lord Jesus is our Savior, and I see how often people with uh, breathlessly and with tears uh, cry and sing about how he has saved them but when you ask them how did the blood wash you that you sang about can you explain that how can blood in practice how does it wash you and cleanse you how does this blood protect you because you say that the blood of the covenant may be my protection this doesn't just happen this blood needs to work uh, when you are a part of the body of Christ, 
in John it's written, if we confess our sins, then he being faithful and true will forgive us and wash us from our sins. But above that it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with God and because of this fellowship we are partakers of the church we are members of the church because coming to the church does not mean being a a partaker of it being partakers of it is when you come out of spiritual infancy an infant can't be a partaker of the body of Christ if he's always stumbling upon the truth if he's attracted by various winds of teaching and uh, people Look how many different uh, uh, that if if you there were uh, churches and uh, some examples of the Sulamita church. Uh, how many people have been uh, interested in listening to other sermons, and they would bring books uh, uh, with uh, sermons of others, and and so. There's a book, uh, and there was a book that uh, that was written, I think, in a different language, and so they would translate it incorrectly, and and they would preach heresies as uh, it says it was written actually to drink from your own wellspring, but people started interpreting as uh, bringing your uh, drinking your own urine and so ridiculous things like this, and so I started asking questions. Why uh, is the word of God given if all these? In another situation, we there was a a, a drug addict who uh, pretty much went through the encounter process, and she said she ended up in heaven and hell, and she was invited to many churches, and we never invited her, and people were asking why we don't invite her. And so to some pastors, she was even saying that I saw you in hell when I was there to some of these, and people were becoming afraid. Why am I saying all of this? Uh, uh, then there was uh, the people were attracted at, uh, by money. Uh, emissaries of mammon were preaching about money, and one of our previous members had come to me. Why do you not want to uh, learn about, this is God's person teaching about wealth, and I told uh, him, I will never let this antichrist and emissary of mammon uh, into this church. How many different winds of doctrine came through teachings and they went to all different kinds of congregations. Uh, the Baptists and others, they never uh, were accepted here. There was one woman who said she received an anointing in St. Petersburg at, at the memorial of, of the Peter the Great. And and she was uh, preaching in many different churches and they were telling us to go and listen to her and anointing I said cannot come from a memorial of Peter the Great Uh, this cannot be possible that will not come anointing doesn't come this way it comes from the Holy Spirit and so they fight with one another they send one another to different places if you remember how if you remember, there was a church of an individual called Ledeev. Uh, he had brought an entire church to a square, and they were rebuking Satan from a city. 
so that he uh, transported himself to Kiev from uh, from the city of Talon to be transported to the city of Kiev, and they were binding him there and yelling, "We bind you! Go into a a a go into a, a train and leave this place." And they were telling him to do this, and they believed that this is stuff that they that would happen that they can bind him make him leave one city and go into another and they sent him to kiev uh send another charismatic uh leader saturated with some kind of unusual anoint so-called anointing he found out that uh he he was angry and they he almost ex- expelled the day of this one who was sending uh, he who was sending these demons into Kiev and the Sunday was actually in Kiev he became angry that he's sending the demon there and so you we heard so many different things that people saying these listen to what people are singing there saying here and and so we need to remember that we are blessed and we we avoided these things people they receive one deception another deception another deception and nets and this encounter, this form of sanctification, the altar was sanctified seven days. This is called, this is com- perfection. And so while you're in the body, you will continuously sanctify your dedication to the Lord. Sanctification is continual separation from evil and people who are evil. We need to understand all of that very clearly. And right now we will thank God that we together have this altar, we have built ourselves into this altar. This is by faith. We're not looking at who we are based on what we feel. We are have accepted information. We count ourselves dead to sin, living for God, because this can only be upon the altar, bringing your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And we proclaim the non-existent stronghold of incorruption in our body as existent. And before the start of every service, we proclaim that the Jesus has resurrected already in our body. And not just one time a year, and not just Jesus resurrected somewhere abstractly in Jerusalem, but he resurrected inside of me, the stronghold of life. He lives within me, and his resurrection is in me. And so we are we, we differ from all of these so-called other trees because of the consistency of this acacia tree. If we are in accordance to its uh, qualities, we have then built ourselves into a bronze altar from which come these horns. Amen. Let us bend our heads and our knees and how, how, however you are able and we will thank God for the word we were able to receive today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for your word that has kept us from all of these forms of heresy and deception, from all of these emissaries of mammon who travel through churches and attracting your people into deception, into sin. I thank you that you have kept us from these great deceptions and have given us your truth have imprinted it in our heart by the obedience because of the obedience of our faith to yours and we thank you and we proclaim the promise that is given to us as existent 
although our bodies have not yet changed, we look at them as if they've changed because in our heart we carry this promise. We meditate about it. We confess it. And we thank you that this confession brings you joy and your favor then is upon us because your favor has always been is always upon those who are obedient they're obeying their faith to your faith that is your faith the words of the messengers that you've given and not the words of the people who people place and elect we thank you that you've delivered us from such uh, so-called messengers whom are placed by men because they voted for them. I thank you that you have found your people who would be able to see and believe your words and acknowledge the apostleship in me to acknowledge your wisdom so that we could receive salvation. You have created this church as a good wife and I thank you for that I am a partaker of it of this holy church that has believed your words and I know that this word will help them be delivered from their old man with his deeds will help them destroy the throne of governing governing sin inside destroy the stronghold of death that he trusts upon the law of deeds and erect within your heart the stronghold of incorruption for your body I thank you may all illnesses and weaknesses be cursed within your people amongst all of those who hear this word and accept it into their hearts May your favor be upon those who listen and fulfill it. We thank you and we worship before you our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.